Well, good morning. So good to be here, and I'm so thankful that you're here this morning. And I want to let you know I'm looking forward to next week. You heard about the family service. We're going to be singing songs from our kids' ministry and a couple from the youth ministry that they're singing at fall retreat this week. They're going to help lead us in those songs. There's going to be a kid's message. Kenny and I are going to be pulling stuff out of bags for kids. I don't know. It's all going to be fun. So I want to invite you to come to that. And I'm excited about what's going to be happening after the second service next week because we have our first Friendship 101 class that's going to be taking place in that room right through there where Kenny and I will be meeting with anyone who wants to come and talk about what Friendship Church is about and share with you how you can get more involved. So we'd love to have you come and be a part of that after the second service next week. Uh, Lunch is provided. If that helps, lunch is provided. So come and be a part of that. We'll have a good time talking about Friendship Church next week. I'm thankful that I have an opportunity to come and be a part of this sermon series here on the Shakopee campus and talk about Elijah. We started this sermon series last week about Elijah, a prophet that lived almost 2,900 years ago. A prophet who lived in a time in Israel's history where Israel was following a king and queen named Ahab and Jezebel into greater and greater idolatry. As a matter of fact, they had built a temple for the god Baal in the capital of Israel, and the prophets of Baal, we are told, ate at the very table of the king and queen of Israel. And during this time, the people of Israel were becoming more and more double-minded. That was a word we used a lot last week. We contrasted the double-mindedness of the people of Israel with the single-minded devotion of Elijah. And we see that double-mindedness in the people of Israel in that they're, they're still worshiping the God of Israel. They haven't given up on that. They still dabble in a little worship of God. They they still go to the temple. They still do their sacrifices. They still keep the Sabbath. But they also have begun to worship Asherah. And they've also begun to worship Baal. And they are heavily invested in the worship of Baal because Baal is the god of crop fertility. He's the god who brings the rains. And what they really want more than anything is to be wealthy and comfortable and secure. And that means fertile crops in an agricultural society. And so they are worshiping Baal because what they're really worshiping is what? Wealth, security, and comfort. And we talked about this double-mindedness of Israel that, yeah, we dabble in a little worship of God over here, but we're really invested in worshiping over here. It's the biggest problem that Israel faced in the day of Elijah. And I would contend... This is the biggest issue that we face in the American church today. Double-mindedness. People who dabble with a little worship of God over here, but in their daily lives, there are other things that are actually the priority. And we don't want to be that double-minded people. Uh, A recent poll by a guy named George Barna showed that there were 70% of people who attend church who believe that Jesus is God. This is people from all different kinds of church backgrounds. 70% believe that Jesus is God. 68%, so almost 70%, believe that Jesus rose from the dead. But in that same survey, 15% of the people who attend church say that God 
is the most important thing in their life, that their relationship with God is the most important priority in their life. Now think about that for a minute. What does that teach us? 70% of people say, we believe that Jesus is God and that he rose from the dead, and yet 15% of people say, my relationship with God is the most important thing in, in my life. What does that teach us? It teaches us that in American churches, there's a real problem with double-mindedness. With people who say, sure, I believe a little bit of this. Sure, I go and get a little bit of this on Sundays and maybe occasionally with my family, maybe even on Wednesday nights. But during the week, my real priority is over here. My real priority is with something else. We don't want to follow the people of Israel in Elijah's day into double-mindedness. And we don't want to follow the trends in current American Christianity towards double-mindedness. Instead, we want to follow Elijah's example in single-minded devotion to God. We saw that single-minded devotion last week, and we're going to see it throughout this series. His name implies it. What does Elijah mean? El-I-Yah. Yahweh is my God is what his name means. And last week he declared to Ahab, I stand before the living God. A Hebrew word that means to be planted or rooted. I have rooted myself in the very presence of the living God. And he showed up into Ahab's throne room last week, dressed in camel's hair, with wild hair and beard, and he declared to him, there is a real and living God. I know him and I serve him, And it will not rain again until that God says so through me. What we see throughout the scriptures that describe Elijah is a life in which God is at work powerfully within him and powerfully through him in the midst of this wicked generation. And when we ask, how does that happen? How can God be powerfully at work in someone and through someone in the midst of wickedness and increasing sinfulness? The answer that we get as we look at Elijah's life is single-minded devotion to God. In everything and every day, God was the priority of Elijah's life and there was nothing else that was a close second. And we want that to be true in us. And in today's passage, we're going to look at how that single-minded devotion works its way out in our daily life? What does it produce in our daily lives if we have that single-minded devotion for God? We're going to look at that in the second half of 1 Kings 17. That's your cue, if you want, to go to 1 Kings 17. We looked at the first few verses last week. And maybe you remember where we left Elijah. Where did we leave him? We left him by this brook called Kareth. You remember that? And he's being fed in the morning and in the evening by ravens, bread and meat, and he is drinking from that brook as he is there. But he is there for three years. Three years where there is no rain upon the land. And verse 7 says, the brook dried up. God hasn't given him any further instructions about where he's headed next or what, how God's going to provide for him next. Elijah just sits there and watches the brook dry up, trusting that God is going to take care of him. By the way, how how good are you at that kind of waiting upon the Lord? Anyone else struggle with that? Three years of watching the brook dry up until you're digging for clean water and God hasn't told you what's next? God loves to wait until the end like that to test our faith. 
and to see if we will trust in him. And Elijah does, and God finally brings his next assignment in verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Now, last week we contended that we think that Elijah probably believed God's plan of going to the brook was crazy and unappealing. But as crazy and unappealing as that plan was, I think that the plan of being fed by this widow was even crazier and less appealing to Elijah. Last week we saw that God told Elijah to go and hide by this brook for three years. When we read about Elijah in the Old Testament, what kind of a guy is he? He's a guy of action, confrontation. And God says, I'd like you to go hide by yourself for three years. Elijah probably thinks of himself as a pretty significant player as the prophet of God in this whole battle of God versus Baal. And God says, I'm going to set you on the bench for three years. Elijah's a prophet who has a to-do list And what are the items on his to-do list? There's really one big to-do. Turn the hearts of Israel away from worshiping Baal and back to God and God alone. And for three years, he checks nothing off of that prophet to-do list as he just sits there. Being fed by ravens. What does the Old Testament say about ravens? They're unclean to a Jew. And so he takes this prophet of Israel and says, I'm going to feed you with unclean birds by a brook that's going to dry up. And I think as crazy and unappealing as this plan was to Elijah, the new plan is even crazier and more unappealing. God says, I want you to go to Sidon. What is Sidon famous for? According to 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 31, Sidon is the home of Jezebel. And so God says, I'm going to send you to the very home of Jezebel, where her dad, the king of Sidon, rules and has instilled Baal worship for all. So so what is Elijah's primary desire as a prophet? He wants to turn the hearts of the people of Israel away from worshiping Baal and back to the one true God. And now God has sent him to a place where there are no Israelites whose hearts he can turn. Into a place where they want to kill him. We're going to see in a couple of weeks that Elijah is leading a movement to try and kill Elijah because he's the one who has declared that there would be no rain. And so God says to Elijah, hey, I'd like you to go into the heart of the enemy. Have a good time there, and you're not going to accomplish any of your goals. Sweet. And while you're there, you're going to be taken care of by a widow. If you read Exodus chapter 22... Verses 22 through 24, you'll find there that God has some very severe words for any Israelite who ever takes advantage of a widow. In this day and age, a very male-dominated society, a widow didn't necessarily have a great way to care for herself once her husband had passed. And they were to be cared for by others, not taken advantage of by others. And God says to Elijah, I want you to go and mooch off of this widow. And it's not just any widow, it's a Gentile widow, isn't it? Israelites didn't even eat meals with Gentiles. And God says, "Uh, you're going to go and live in her guest room. Elijah's like, "This, this is a crazy plan. So unappealing to him. And I think the question for us is, will he do it? 
right? Will he obey? Verse 10, so he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Does he do it? Absolutely he does. And we really see here the first characteristic of someone who has single-minded devotion to God. Their days are filled with obedience. If we have a single-minded devotion to God, we will be obedient. I don't think Elijah's natural self wanted to go and hide by the brook. I don't think his natural self wanted to go and be fed by this widow. But because God said it, he did it. Because God said it, he did it. Everyone obeys when they want to. Everyone obeys when they feel like it. Uh, Several years ago, I was preaching, this was years and years ago, I was preaching about marriage, and as a part of the sermon, we came to a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that talks about husbands and wives not denying each other physically. And as a part of that message, I made the statement that husbands and wives should have active, regular sex lives. I had several men approach me that week and say, Matt, for the first time ever, I went online and listened to one of your sermons a second time so that my wife would listen to it with me. As a matter of fact, I had another guy come to me and say, my wife was out of town, but I made sure she heard your message when when she got back. a silly illustration, but we, we all obey when we want to, when we feel like it. But God calls us as his people in single-minded devotion to obey him when we don't feel like it, when we don't want to, when it doesn't make any sense. The world is going to tell you that investing your time, talent, and treasure into the kingdom of God, that that's crazy. And there are going to be plenty of times where you're like, I don't really want to. But those who have single-minded devotion to God are obedient and do it. The world is going to tell you that God's plan for things like marriage and sexuality, that it's crazy and old-fashioned. And there are going to be times where we don't want to be obedient to it. And yet, when we're single-minded in our devotion, we say, God, we don't care if it makes sense. We don't care if we want to. We're going to be obedient. The world's going to tell you that you're narrow-minded if you share Jesus with other people. That you're being belligerent and obnoxious if you tell them that Jesus is the way. There are going to be times that you don't want to. But in our single-minded devotion to God, we continue to be obedient to what he has called us to. And the natural question that flows out of this for each and every one of us this morning is, where is God calling you to be obedient? Is there an area of your life where maybe you don't want to, maybe you don't feel like it, but God is calling you to be obedient in a particular area? What is it in your life? The devoted are obedient. And we're going to see Elijah's continued obedience in the verses to come. And as she, the widow, was going to bring the water... He called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. 
Right? What's going on here? God hasn't just sent Elijah to a poor widow. God has sent Elijah to an absolutely destitute widow. She says, I only have enough ingredients left to make one more meal, and then my son and I are just going to starve to death after that. Elijah had to be super excited about this plan at this point, right? So this is who you're going to provide my meals through? Will he turn away from being obedient? No way. No way. Look at this. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. And we see here the second thing that characterizes those who have a single-minded devotion to God, and that is they live by faith. Those who are fully devoted to God live in obedience. Those who are fully devoted to God live each day by faith. Did the woman have enough oil and flour in order to feed Elijah and herself and her son for weeks and months to come? Absolutely not. And yet, Elijah acts in faith and says, our God will provide. And he calls the woman, this Gentile widow, to act in faith and trust and says, God will provide. I got to tell you, most of the time in my natural and analytical self, I want to make sure that the resources are on hand and then I will figure out how I'm going to use them. Anyone else? Right? That is my natural and analytical self. It wants to know that those resources are on hand or they're at least on their way before I figure out that I'm going to do this or that. God, when I get more money, then I'll be generous in the way you've called me to be generous. God, when I have more time on my hands, then I'll serve the way you've called us to serve. God, when I have more energy, (laughs) yeah. God, when I have more energy, someday, then I will devote myself to discipling others the way that you've called me to. But those who are single-minded in their devotion, they think about things differently each and every day. Instead, They say, God, I know you have called me to be generous with your resources. And so I'm going to be generous and trust that you're going to provide, even though I don't see how that's going to happen right now. God, I know that you have called me to use my time and my energy in order to serve others and be devoted to others. I I don't see how that's going to work, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to make that commitment to serve and to invest in other people and trust that you'll provide as I act in faith. It's so incredibly healthy for our walk with God. For us to make a decision where we step out beyond the resources that we see into a decision, into a commitment where it'll only work if God provides things that we don't currently see. When we live in that kind of faith, we grow with Him. And so the natural question is the same as the one that we asked for obedience. Is there a way that God's calling you to step out in faith right now? 
to step out beyond the resources that you see on hand and to trust in him and say, God, I'm going to do this because I believe your word says it's important. And as I do it, I'm going to trust that you will provide all that is needed. Is there a way that God is calling you to step out in faith during this time? Elijah steps out in faith. He calls the widow to step out in faith and says God will provide. And he's going to need to continue to step out in faith because the widow's son becomes ill while Elijah is living with her. And he dies. And the widow in her heartbreak and her sorrow begins to blame Elijah for it. She is just lashing out at whoever is around And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. She's lashing out in her grief at Elijah. And is Elijah going to get defensive? Is Elijah going to argue with her? Hey, this isn't on me. No, Elijah's not going to get into that. He knows the pain from where this is coming. And instead... He simply says to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord, oh, and it happened. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. God works through Elijah's prayers to bring about the most astounding and miraculous of events here. This is the first time that anyone in all of human history was raised from the dead. We look back at this through the lens of a people whose lives are rooted in resurrection hope. And we say, well, yeah, of course God raised him from the dead. But understand, they had no framework for this. No one had ever been raised from the dead before. God works through Elijah's prayer in order to bring this first boy back from the dead. Why does God work through Elijah's prayer in this situation? In order to work such amazing power? Well, no doubt, part of it is because Elijah offered this prayer in faith. We see a lot of connections between faith and answered prayer in the scripture. No doubt Elijah prayed fervently about this. He prayed repeatedly and we see that those who are fervent in prayer see their prayers answered. No doubt God uh, Elijah prayed in a way that was according to God's will. We see a connection between God's will and answered prayer in the scripture. But James chapter 5 that we read last week makes a particular connection between Elijah and his miraculous and powerful prayer life, and that connection is about his righteousness, isn't it? Right? It's the prayers of the righteous 
that are powerful and effective. James chapter 5, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Elijah's prayers are answered. They are powerful and they are effective because Elijah was single-minded in his devotion to God. He was righteous. And we see here the third thing I want us to see about the single-minded. The prayers of the devoted are powerful. The prayers of the devoted are powerful. Listen carefully because I'm not sure that believers always understand this. The power and effectiveness of our prayers is directly related to the health of our relationship with God. The power and effectiveness of our prayers is directly related to how we are walking with God. This is true in a negative way. Sin impacts the power of our prayers. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save Israel, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not what? That's right. He will not hear. The people of Israel were running away from God. They were living in sin. And then they came to God and said, God, will you do this for us? God, will you do that for us? And God says, absolutely not. I will not answer your prayers. I will not say yes to your requests because of the sin and iniquity that you're living in. Sin, unrepentant sin, damages our prayer life. It strips our prayer life of any power. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, God is addressing husbands, and he says, if you mistreat your wives, if you don't honor them the way they are meant to be honored, your prayers will be hindered. How many husbands live with prayer lives that are wimpy because of the way they treat their wives? This probably extends beyond husbands to wives and to everyone else. Because Psalm 66, 18, the psalmist says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. When we have unrepentant sin in our lives, when we are going the wrong direction, God says, I'm not going to answer your prayers. I'm not going to say yes to the requests that you bring before me. And this is really just good parenting, isn't it? This is just our heavenly father being a good parent. When my kids were little, we lived in a neighborhood where as we turned onto our street, there was a Dairy Queen on that corner. (sighs) That'll come up in a lesson about temptation at some point, I'm sure. Can you imagine what would have happened if in one of those, on one of those many days when my kids were struggling, right? They, they were disobeying their parents. They were fighting with each other, maybe even fighting in the back seat of the car with each other. If they, in the midst of their fighting and bickering and disobedience, had suddenly stopped as we drove by the Dairy Queen and said, hey, would you get us a blizzard? Right? As a parent, do I ever pull into the Dairy Queen at that point? No, absolutely not. Because I am not about to reward them when they're in the midst 
of all of that bad. That's just bad parenting. And our God says, the same is true. I'm not about to reward you with answered prayer when you are treasuring iniquity in your heart, when you are double-minded in your pursuits, when you are living in unrighteousness. In a negative sense, sin impacts the power of our prayers. But the same is true on the positive side of things. Righteousness impacts the power of our prayers as well for good. It is the prayers of the righteous that are powerful and effective. In Daniel chapter 9, the angel Gabriel says to Daniel, As soon as you started praying, I was sent to you with an answer, because in heaven, Daniel, you are highly esteemed. You're you're a righteous man, and so I was sent immediately to answer your prayers. Psalm 34, 15, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. He can't wait to answer the prayers of those who are righteous, of those who are single-minded in their devotion to God. When my kids were young, I loved to reward them when I found them doing good things. Right? When they were loving each other well, sharing with each other well, when they were doing things that I'd ask them to do and had forgotten all about, and I found them doing those positive things. I love to give them hugs or treats or compliments or something, right? There's just something in my parental heart that is like, oh, I love that you're doing that. I just want to reward you in that. My kids are both in college now. They're not, they're not young, and yet I did this this last weekend. Uh, I was talking to one of my kids, and I was super excited about the decisions they were making and the way that they were following God. And after uh, my wife and I talked a little bit, and we're talking about you know, how thankful we were to the Lord about the decisions that this child was making and how excited we were, I went onto our little bank account, and I transferred a few dollars into their account, and I said, I want you to go out to breakfast this morning on me. Why? Because I just love it when they're headed in the right direction. And I love rewarding that. And God's Father heart is the same. It's overwhelmed when we are headed in the right direction. We are single-minded in our devotion to Him. He loves to answer our prayers. And so it is the righteous whose prayers are powerful and effective. One more thing I want us to see in this second half of 1 Kings 17 and this is something that, it's not, it's not what the single-minded, into, single-minded do. This is more about something that those who are single-minded in their devotion to God understand and live recognizing each and every day. And it is this. The devoted worship the God of resurrection. They recognize the God I worship, the God that I have single-minded devotion towards. He is the God of resurrection. In Sidon, where Elijah is living with this widow, they worship Baal. Who was Baal? Baal was the god of fertility, particularly the god of crop fertility. He was the god who would bring the rains, but also the god who would produce human fertility. But there were times in life where the rains didn't come, where the crops shriveled where people didn't get pregnant, what did they believe was happening with the God of fertility during these times? In Sidon, they believe that when 
the rains didn't come and the crops shriveled. It was because Baal, the god of the rains and crop fertility, had been overcome by Mot, M-O-T, Mot, the god of death. And so they would sacrifice to Mot, the god of death, so that he would release Baal, so that Baal could bless them again and bring the rains and crop fertility. But Baal within their system was often overcome by Mot, the god of death. However, in 1 Kings 17, what we see in Sidon it isn't a battle between Baal and Mot. What we see in 1 Kings 17 is the God of all life overcome death. The God of the living bring a young boy back from the dead, raising him. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says that Jesus, the God of all life, who was raised from the dead, overcame sin and overcame death when he got up out of the grave so that we might have life forever. Because Jesus got up out of the grave and defeated death, because we worship a God of resurrection, he is defeating dead ways in us, isn't he? Lives that were dead with worry and anxiety are being made alive with peace. Lives that were dead with judgment and condemnation are being made alive with grace. Lives that were dead with shame and guilt are coming to life with forgiveness. Lives that were dead in selfishness are coming to life in love. Friendships and family relationships that were dead in bitterness are being brought back to life through his healing. Marriages that were dead are being brought back to life because Jesus is a God of resurrection and he brings dead parts of our lives back to life. But more than that, he has promised that when your body gives out, you will be brought back to new life forever with him. Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The Lord to whom Elijah prayed, raise this boy, is the same Lord who took on human body, came and died on the cross and got up out of the grave so that we might live anew in him. Let me say that again. The same Lord to whom Elijah prayed, Lord, raise this boy, is the Lord who came and took on human form in order to die for our sins so that he would get up out of the grave, defeating death so that we might have new life in him. So that in our daily lives, through his power, dead areas can be made alive. And ultimately, when these bodies give way, we have the hope of ultimate and eternal life with him and all that is good. Do you believe that? Right? Do you believe that? If you want more information about what it means to believe that, what it means to be a person of single-minded devotion to the one true God. Love for you to use the connect card that's on your chair and mark that you'd like more information about that. 
But if you're here this morning and you do believe that, and you say, yes, I I am devoted to the one true God. He is the priority of my life, and I don't want anything else to be even close. Then I can't think of anything better for us to do than to lift him up and exalt him together, to praise his name together. And so I invite the worship team out as I close our time in, in prayer together. Father, so thankful for what you have done that you are the God of resurrection, bringing your son back to life from the dead so that he can be the first fruits of all of us who will rise from the dead in your name. Lord, we are thankful that we have an opportunity to worship the God of life who brings life to dead places in us. We're thankful for that and we live into it this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me and let's praise and honor our God together.